We are in our series, Kingdom Principles. And just to help remind ourselves, I will probably say this over and over again, week in and week out, uh, so that it really gets sealed into our hearts that a principle is a guiding belief or a law, if you will, that governs the kingdom of God. There are beliefs as outlined in the word of God, laws as outlined in the word of God that govern the kingdom of God, how God God operates, how the kingdom of God operates. And that means how every one of us who is a Christian, who has embraced Jesus Christ as our savior, and so therefore we become citizens of the kingdom, So the the Bible outlines how we, as citizens of the kingdom, must conduct ourselves, right? We have, in this land, uh, America, we have laws uh, that we have to live by. They they guide us. They they structure our lives. They govern our lives. You can't just decide, say, well, I'm not going to obey that law because that will bring you into trouble. Well, the spiritual application is to be part of God's kingdom We have to structure our lives around these kingdom principles. Otherwise, we cannot live a life that pleases the Lord. So we are uh, looking at the gospel of Matthew uh, and journeying through this gospel because Matthew's gospel is known as the gospel of the king. Matthew elevates Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the king of the Jews. And so we've been journeying uh, through Matthew's gospel to identify some of these kingdom principles. And today we're going to look at three verses to get us started, and that's Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So notice he's teaching his disciples, not people in general, but his followers. And he said, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We have worshiped you with our voices and the lifting up of our hands. We've exalted the name that's above every other name. And now in that precious name, we come before you. God, we are so hungry for your word. We we pray for the spirit of the Lord to come in such a powerful way this morning and help us to see, to understand this kingdom principle, oh God, and, to, and how we're supposed to apply it into our lives so that it, it, we structure our lives around it and thus we can live a life that pleases you. We thank you for his help right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, so Jesus teaching his followers said, blessed, happy, in other words, are the poor in spirit. Now this word poor uh, means to be impoverished, but listen, to the point that you're begging, to the point that you're begging. In other words, you have nothing, and you are totally dependent on others for everything. 
So this is, this is the level of, of poverty that Jesus is talking about. And he says, blessed are those who are at that point where you're poor in spirit. And that means to be spiritually bankrupt to the measure that you are desperate for help. That you realize, I can't help myself in this area. I need help. I need God to help. And he declared, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt who cry out for help, Jesus said, now they receive not the kingdom of man, but they receive the kingdom of heaven. So now, Let's look at this and apply it to our lives and see the kingdom principle that God wants us to identify here this morning and understand how it applies to our life and so that we can live a life that honors and pleases the Lord. Because this teaching that Jesus is giving to his followers reveals, listen, that the condition of our spirit determines our blessing. The condition of our spirit determines our blessing. To be poor in spirit, to be spiritually bankrupt to the measure that we are desperate for God's help. Now, to help us understand this in a better way, I thought I'd give you the contrast to that first. Uh, the, what does it mean? Uh, what's the opposite, if you will, the contrast to being poor in spirit? Well, I just simply turned in. What does it mean to be rich in spirit then? To be rich in spirit means that you and I are full of pride to the measure that we have little or no need for God's help. That's what it means to be rich in spirit. See, the rich in spirit don't need a savior because they believe that their religion is sufficient. I am rich in my religion. I don't need a savior. The, 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 the rich in spirit don't need a savior because they don't see themselves as sinful. They see themselves as a morally good person. They feel that I can get to heaven based upon my lifestyle in that I don't drink, I, I don't curse, I, I don't fool around, I am a good person. So therefore, I don't need a savior. The rich in spirit have little need of God because of their lifestyle. In other words, hey, I got a great job, I got a great home that I was able to purchase. I love my lifestyle. I am happy with everything I need. I don't need religion. I don't need to go to church. Man, I got it all together. The rich in spirit are not blessed because they have pride. Pride in themselves. Pride in what they have accomplished. But the problem with that is James chapter 4 verse 6 says God opposes the proud 
but he shows favor to the humble. God opposes. Now, what does that mean? This word oppose in the Greek is very interesting. It's actually a military word. It, the term mean, to oppose means uh, to, to gather around, to surround and come against. So in other words, when Carlos is rich in spirit, when Carlos is prideful, listen to me, God is the one, when he sees pride in Carlos, he surrounds Carlos to the measure that Carlos can't go anywhere and Carlos is in big trouble. Because the one against Carlos isn't the devil, it isn't demons, it's God himself. The poor in spirit. Let me break that down in its simplicity to me, how God revealed this to me. The poor in spirit simply means that you have a heart filled with humility. Humility. A heart filled with humility, meaning let's begin with our spiritual condition. I am so sinful that I never have, nor will I ever deserve anything from God. Boy, it really got quiet with that one. You see, because sometimes, because of the way we live, we start to feel that God owes us something. And when you start to feel that God owes you something, you're proud in spirit. Because the one whose heart is filled with humility realizes, understands, I am utterly sinful. I don't deserve anything from God, and I never will. The poor in spirit realizes God doesn't owe me anything. The poor in spirit who are filled with humility realize whatever I have received from God, I received it because of his grace and mercy. See, grace is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And mercy is God not treating you as your sin deserves. Both of these are kissing cousins, if you will, spiritually. That, uh, the, the, the heart that is poor in spirit, the, the heart that is full of humility, recognize I'm so sinful, God doesn't owe me anything. And whatever he does bless me with, comes as a result of his grace and mercy. And this applies in every facet of life. The job we have, if you got a job, how many got a job? Let me see your hand this morning. God got you that job. Not God got you that job, not because he owes you anything, but because he's the good God. The health that we enjoy, God gives us that health. The food that's on your table, the clothes that's on your back, all of that comes from the hand of God. The moment you start thinking you did that, you got pride in your spirit. You're rich in spirit now because you think you've accomplished something. And that even goes into serving God. Pastor Jason led us so wonderfully this morning with the worship team singing. Now, how many agree Pastor Jason has a wonderful voice? It's okay, you can say that. Yeah, he does. Wow, Pastor Jason. Let me rephrase it. How many of you believe he's got a great spirit to lead us to worship? 
Man, that's still not strong. Oh. Well, I think he does. But now here's the thing. The moment Pastor Jason starts to think that his talent can accomplish this, he becomes not poor in spirit, but rich in spirit. And it's so easy to get to that place where you are confident in yourself rather than desperate for God. In other words, listen, I, I've been preaching now for over 30 years. I, mentally, I, I, I have the knowledge to understand how to prepare a sermon. However, if I, and if I stand here before you today and I am dependent on that knowledge, that experience, then I really don't need God, do I? Oh yeah, I can preach a sermon without God's help. That doesn't mean it's blessed. But see, the trap is we get to a point where we feel we've arrived at some place. But see, those who are humble in spirit recognize, God, I am desperate for your help this morning. I have nothing that in and of myself that I could say to anybody that could be a blessing. I desperately need your anointing, God, your presence. In the poor in spirit, those filled with humility, Jesus said, they receive the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean to receive the kingdom of heaven? It simply means this. Everything that God offers spiritually becomes yours. Everything. All the grace that God offers becomes yours. See, Notice Jesus said, you're very pointed. You read most of the Beatitudes, Jesus gives you a promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will, they will. And, but this is the first of the Beatitudes where Jesus doesn't use the promise. He uses the declaration. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because God opposes the proud but he gives favor to the humble. He says, whatever I have is yours. The grace I have is yours. The mercy that I have is yours. And most importantly of all, my presence is yours. You see, the, the, the one who is poor in spirit whose heart is filled with humility, realizes, man, I don't deserve God's presence. I can read my Bible. I can do all of the religious things. I can say some prayers, but that doesn't guarantee me God's presence. In fact, that can become a rich spirit. Like the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus said, you read the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but you won't come to me the author of life. You see, we can do all of the right things, but never engage our heart in desperation and say, oh God, unless you open my eyes, I, I, I won't see the beauty of your word. 
That's why the psalmist cried out, open my eyes, Lord, that I might see wonderful things in your law. There's a desperation that comes when, when he read the word of God. There's a desperation that comes when they, they, they pray, oh God, I need your presence, oh God. Without your presence, I have nothing, God. See, see the, this, the kingdom of heaven is not about material possessions. It's about spiritual blessing. And so here's the kingdom principle that we need to look at this morning. Humility, or in parentheses, if you want to put it poor in spirit, is the road to kingdom blessing. Humility is the road to kingdom blessing. Now, having laid that foundation, I want to share with you now two areas of our life that humility must be evident in if we are going to embrace this kingdom principle. Number one, listen, the poor in spirit walk humbly with God. The prophet Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk, say with me, humbly with your God. What does God require? He, he requires you and I to, to act justly and love mercy. That's towards others, but then toward God to walk humbly with your God. Walking humbly with the Lord means we never lose sight of our spiritual bankruptcy. That we are, without him, we are nothing and have nothing. That is what it means to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. You wake up realizing every day that God gives you breath in a new day. You not only just thank him, but you realize for this day to be blessed, I desperately need your presence. See, I'm, I keep emphasizing the word desperate or desperately because if there is no desperation, then it gives us the measure of our humility. In other words, listen to me. If, if we look with the Lord, if we walk with the Lord, let's say uh, uh, Carlos gets up today and Carlos gets some time, I'm going to get alone with God. How I read my Bible? Do I read my Bible with a desperation? Do I pray with a desperation? Do I look to the Lord and say, God, I desperately need your touch in my life today. And I want to tell you, the, the, this there's a trap, especially laid out, especially fabricated for those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a number of years. Because the trap is this. You get to the point where you feel, I don't need to be so desperate anymore. See, I, I've grown spiritually to a certain measure. So, so I don't need to be desperate. I understand why you're desperate, but I don't need to be that desperate anymore because God's done a work in my life. The longer you're saved, the easier it is to become rich in spirit. To, be, to forget that every single day, unless you receive a blessing from God, 
you're spiritually bankrupt that day. Every single day. And listen, can I say this in full transparency and honesty with all of us? A great measure of the depth of our humility is our prayer life. Praying little means I don't need God. Because how many know when we are desperate, we know how to pray. We don't need anybody to teach us how to pray. When there is a desperation in our spirit, listen to me, for those of you watching online, when there's a desperation in your spirit, you know how to cry out to God. Nobody has to encourage you. Nobody has to motivate you. It comes from the deepest reaches of your heart because you know, I desperately, God, God, my daughter is ill. I, I'm desperate. Heal her, God. God, I see my, I'm failing over and over and over again. I remember when I was struggling so much to get free from drugs and I would cry out to God, God, unless you come, I'm going to die. I'm going to die a drug addict because I can't beat this thing, God. You see, your humility and the depth of it is revealed by the depth of your prayer, the desperation in your prayer. Why do you think the church in general is in such a bad state? We don't need God. Why do you think the prayer meeting is the least attended services in every single church across America? We don't need God. We're not desperate. We think the answer is in something else. We've demonstrated that we are rich in spirit in that there's no cry. Can I go a little further with this, brothers and sisters? Hear my heart. When was the last time you wept over that unsaved loved one that you want God to save? I mean, how desperate are you? And, and I'm not preaching at you. I'm with you right there. Because as I prepared this, I, I felt deep conviction from God in my own prayer life and all the things that we profess to want, but yet in reality, when we look at our lives, we say, man, I'm not really all that desperate. You see, I was watching something you know, on Saturday, this video of this man who had lost 150 pounds. And they asked him, how did you lose all that? He said, well, because I visited to the doctor. And the doctor said, you have two months to live. At the rate you're going, you will definitely be dead in less than two months. Max. And that opened my eyes. And he said, and this is the word. I got desperate and realized I have to take care of myself. I have to diet properly. I have to make sure that I'm eating the right things and doing the right exercises. And that was a wake-up call for him. Would you agree with me? The church needs a wake-up call. We need a wake-up call. During this pandemic, if there's not a desperation in your heart for what's going down, through all this civil unrest and all this, listen, please hear my heart. The answer is not in government. The answer is in Jesus. Jesus has the answer. We can't depend on anybody else. But we hold the key. The church of the living God. 
There has to be that humility, that recognizing, that desperation. We have to walk humbly with God. The second thing is that the poor in spirit walk humbly with others. Oh yeah, listen, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Again, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then we find in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, listen to what the Bible exhorts at the beginning of verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, pride. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to each other and to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. What was that? Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the poor in spirit they don't lift themselves up by putting others down. They don't look down at, at anybody. They don't compare themselves by how other people live. In fact, I want to read to you a portion of Scripture here. See, in, in Luke chapter 18, in verse 9, it says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness, listen, and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, this story. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Because they never lose sight of their own bankrupt, sinful spirit, the poor in spirit always consider others 
better than themselves. Can you imagine the incredible blessing that would be in the church if we humbled ourselves like Jesus? If we had the same mindset Jesus had, that we live with the fact that my sister, she's spiritually better than I am. My sister, spiritually better. She's spiritually better. Spiritually better. Everybody in the church is spiritually better than I am. Therefore, I will not look down on anybody. I will not judge anybody. Why? Because they're better than me. If we all live with that attitude, boy, what a transformation we'd have in church. Arguments would virtually be eliminated. We wouldn't have backbiting, gossip. We wouldn't have any of that stuff. Why? Because nobody would be putting anybody down because we'd all realize we are all cut from the same mold. Every single one of us is corrupt spiritually to the core. And so because of that, we don't judge anybody. We don't put anybody down. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. No, we're all equally just as sinful before God. We're talking this morning about the road to kingdom blessing. And that is that the condition of our spirit determines our blessing. And this kingdom principle that laid out for us here today is simply that humility is the road to kingdom blessing. Listen to me, married couples, you want your marriage to be blessed spiritually? Do you want a spiritual blessing on your marriage? Listen to me. If we want our marriages to be spiritually blessed, then we need to learn to walk in humility. Because, come on, I've been married 42 years. Isn't this likely to happen so often, more, too, much, too often in our marriage? We start putting one another down. And we're putting one another down because in our heart we're saying, I would never do that. Why did you do that? And we, in other words, we're elevating ourselves to put our spouse down. Most marital differences are centered in pride. Because pride will also keep you from humbling yourself and say, I said that and I was wrong. Please forgive me. See, it's pride that keeps you from saying that. But when you realize, man, we're all in this together. And I want my marriage to be blessed. I want my family to be blessed. I want my life personally to be blessed. I want our church to be blessed. Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 